cliffcentral.com. All right, it's time for us to go to JJ Cornish. Yes, everybody, I know you've been waiting and everybody's been asking, where the hell's African analysis? Well, we're back on the go and we're back in the saddle. And to get us going this morning, none other than the great Jean-Jacques Cornish. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? Bonjour. Did you want me to sing Gene Autry's Back in the Saddle, or do I just go straight <laughs> into talking about I love it. So African Analysis is our chance to catch up on all the goings-on on the continent. It is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and we're going to, this year, get into lots of really, really interesting discussions. We're going to speak to people all over the place, and our man on the spot is JJ Cornish. So, JJ, first of all, um, welcome back, and happy um, financial year-end is what we're telling people on the 1st of March. But there's quite a lot to talk about when it comes to Africa, and we're going to have to get straight into it. Um, let's look at the the first big story. Why are Africans being blocked from boarding trains and crossing the border out of Ukraine? There's a lot of talk of this. In fact, yesterday, I think it was of all people, Supra Mahuma Perlo, who wanted to know why our, our international relations department isn't doing enough to prevent racism in the middle of a conflict. But is there racism in the middle of the conflict? And what do we know for sure? Well, you know, if you were handling the file for Ukraine, I think you'd have to be very, very careful about the way you deal with the African students. And there are many of them there. They're coming from uh, South Africa, of course, Kenya, Mm. Nigeria, Ghana, Ethiopia, Somalia, Mm. several thousand Nigerian students. And that in itself would indicate that, you know, you've got you've got something ticklish on your hands. Sure. Well, uh, uh, first of all. There's uh, what 500,000, half a million people have left the country. Wow. And uh, so there's a, a huge priority on trains. And one sees the footage of uh, fathers having to say goodbye to their children because <laughs> uh, men between the ages of 60 and 18 are being held. They're, they're going to have to serve in yeah. the military. So they're sending their families away. But there is a sense, no doubt, in Ukraine about of, of resentment about the way that Africans and Indians have treated uh, this issue. India, for example, abstaining in the vote on the United Nations Security Council last week, abstaining along with China. In other words, effectively supporting the Russian position. Now, in Africa... Uh, South Africa, for example, as the maybe the giant on the continent, uh, has called for the withdrawal of uh, Russian forces and has called for uh, the r- restoration of diplomacy or the uh, beefing up of diplomacy. But they have not used the word condemn. They yeah. have not condemned it. In, in, in fact, in, in, uh, JJ, didn't um, our Minister of International Relations, Naledi Pandor, get into some trouble for saying we would like to... Um, to, to, to cease this uh, this conflict at the moment, and we'd we'd love to see an end to it. She even went as far as saying, you know, the the war must stop and Russia should w- withdraw. And she got into huge trouble for that, didn't she? Yes, she did. You know, because on the um, on the eve of the invasion, South Africa issued a statement saying it was concerned that, that diplomacy should prevail, diplomacy above all things, and that's what the United Nations Security Council is for, and it should deal with this. It was such a carefully worded, balanced statement that it made the statement by Prince Andrew look, you know, fairly one-sided. It was very, very <laughs> cautious. On the day itself, they did call for the Russians to withdraw, but they still haven't condemned it. Now, you know, for a country that relied on 
help from the Security Council in its days of liberation. Yeah. Uh, this, did, this didn't sit well with South Africa. I mean, and of course, South Africa, being a member of BRICS along with Russia, right. is being looked at very, very uh, sensitively. I mean, so, 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 uh, South Africa making that statement makes me think of like a couple who are having a huge fight in front of everybody. And then you stand off to the side and go, guys, guys, can't we just get along? It, it doesn't help. It, it's completely meaningless. But, um, but is there an issue with Ukrainians being so angry with Africans and Indians because they haven't supported, uh, you know, their, their case against Russia that they're actually not allowing them to board trains? Is that actually happening? They, they are blocking them. They, again, the social media to the rescue in this regard. They what they're seeing people do this. They're blocking them from boarding trains and they're blocking them from crossing the border. So they're keeping them there. Now, uh, the African Union has expressed concern. The African Union also, uh, Maki Sol, the Senegalese president, currently president, chairman of the African Union, uh, he made a statement, very strong statement against the invasion. And yesterday made a statement against what is being seen as racism uh, and, and against any action against the uh, mostly students, African students who are there. Very, very concerned to get out as one would expect them to be. Uh, ECOWAS, the Economic Community of West African States, 15-nation body, they have used the word condemn against the Russian invasion. I don't know if this will help. You know, I don't imagine you can get to the station and say, well, I'm uh, Senegalese, I'm from ECOWAS, yeah. uh, maybe let me through and, and keep the Namibian well, and the South African behind, that's not going to work. But it's, it's a, it is a sad thing. And if this does count heavily against the Ukrainians, then, you know, they, they've shot themselves in the foot. And that's an expression we use in this part of the world rather freely because, yeah. uh, you know, we've had a tendency to do it uh, over Often. the years. So, JJ, how about Russia? Are they Are they trying their best to show what good friends to Africa they are because they need support from wherever they can get it at the moment. Let's face it, the EU and much of the West are allied against Russia in this respect. So who are their, who are their friends? We know they've cozied up to China and China have said they're not going to stand in their way. But who else are their friends and are they looking for friends here on our continent? Very much so. Uh, and when you see people come into Africa, big term powers coming to Africa, Turkey, for example, when they do it, it's, it's obviously, uh, hoping for some kind of commodity trade and so on. But at the end of the day, it's votes at the United Nations. They want that big body, our 57 members. And if they can get that, and that's what Russia is looking for. You know, uh, interestingly, Russia, uh, uh, has no way of, uh, competing with China in terms of economic aid to Africa and whether it's economic aid or loans or very loans that turn out to be Rhymes, very expensive yeah. at the end of the day. We don't know, but they, they have come in with uh, uh, support, with uh, uh, intelligence, with uh, technological support, and their best friends are Libya, Mali, Sudan, <laughs> the Central African Republic, Mozambique, in all of those, they are very active on a, on a quasi-military level. We have Fosan Akshans Tuadera, the Central African president, saying that uh, supporting Russia's recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk, you know, the two uh, rebel territories that uh, it used as a pretext for getting in. Because we, we, we were waiting for him, like everyone in the world sitting on tenterhooks. Oh, no, but wait, what did the Central African Republic have to say, of course? 
Well, when the Central African Republic go to Washington and say, listen, pal, what about a few bob, you know, just to tide us over till the harvest? You, you know what sort of answer they're going to get. Yeah. But the Russians, the most important thing about the Russians is they're putting in the Wagner group, mercenaries, Russian mercenaries into many of these conflict zones. Yeah. And certainly the, the Wagner group has replaced France in Mali. Right. Uh, militarily, uh, France, after nine years of fighting, they finally said, Sufis, that's it. We're out of here. Uh, these guys don't have, this is the military regime, of course, in Mali, uh, who were supposed to have elections last month, uh, but will now say we're, we're going to hang on for another five years. And again, have been sanctioned by ECOWAS for saying that. But uh, Emmanuel Macron said, okay, that's it. We're getting out of here. Uh, and w- what did Mali do with all the French, games, French, Germans, Danes? He actually kicked the Danes out. <laughs> and then... The Mali regime said to the French, listen, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Get out now. (laughs) So, you know, very colorful things happening in Africa, which I think are going to have long-term considerations. But China uh, uh, obviously remains Africa's best friend economically. Russia cannot match that, but is trying to be the best friend. Hmm. But they've made a little blops themselves, uh, Gareth, and that's a very interesting thing. They celebrated yesterday. 30 years of uh, bilateral relations with South Africa. Hmm. Well, uh, one wonders why they did that, because, you know, that means, if you count back, that they actually signed the paper not with Nelson Mandela as they should have, no. but with F.W. Declan. The Russians <laughs> yeah. play the game the way they want to. And do you know that the ANC was in a stone huff with Russia for years afterwards. Russia didn't get invited here. The Russian ambassador was treated uh, indifferently here. And they all said, but why? And the answer was, well, listen, you decided to make friends with uh, apartheid South Africa. You didn't even wait that extra few months to make, you know, to tie the knot with us. And so now to go these all the years right. later and have this big celebration saying we're bells we're back with south right. africa i think was a bit of a bluff and on i mean part. we we basically we became a, a democratic nation around about the same time that uh, that russia started to become russia instead of the ussr it all fell apart for for the ussr around about the same time so we should have quite a lot in common and of course the ANC would love to be cozier with uh, with Russia. We know that our, our deputy president goes and visits there often. God alone knows why. Sometimes he says because he's sick, you know. But Didi Mabuza spent a lot of time in Moscow, so we should have better relations with them. But they've probably cocked that up too. Just one last thing before you go, and we've we've got quite a lot to catch up on. So next week, uh, next time we have you on, we may we may just start a bit earlier. But uh, Belgium's King Philippe. Uh, was meant to go and visit the Democratic Republic of Congo. Obviously, relations between Belgium and the Congo have uh, been very fractious uh, since uh, it's become common knowledge that what they did in the 1800s and and the early 1900s there was absolutely revolting and genocidal. And they have have much to, to apologize for. And I'm sure that King Philippe, part of it was like a, please, please, please forgive us, we're so sorry tour. But he's canceled that too, right? He has because of the Ukraine crisis. I think I've used this line with you before. If you want to know what uh, colonialism did 
read the book King Leopold's Ghost. Absolutely. You know, in South Africa, we make a bit of light of people still blaming apartheid for some of the ills. Mm. And, you know, how long are you going to keep blaming apartheid? Well, in this case, you know, I've visited the Congo many times and you see <laughs> the parlous state of affairs there. When you read King Leopold's Ghost, Leopold II, the Congo was literally handed to him personally. It was his personal and property. He got yeah. 10 million people died in the Congo, uh, in the Congo Free State. And he wanted, he, you know, he mutilated people, killed women, children to enforce the production of rubber quotas. Cut the hands off rubber workers who did not deliver the quotas that they were right. designed to record. So um, he, you know, so effectively, King Philippe has expressed his deepest regret for the colonial cruelty. And he was due to go there. Uh, Belgium has, uh, but when King Leopold's ghost first came out about 10, maybe a little bit more years ago, I remember going to the Belgian ambassador saying, I've just read this absolutely shocking book. Mm. Gareth, he leaned into his jacket pocket, pulled out a piece of paper with a bunch of arguments that his government oh, had sent joking. him about, you know, what to <laughs> say to try and explain what King Leopold had been up to. Happily, they've given that up now. Uh, so they have a, they have a very, very uh, shameful, shameful oh, uh, colonial past, and particularly in the DRC, where I do believe the DRC still, to this day, 2022, pays for the, the sins of colonialism. You are not wrong on that uh, front, I'm afraid. And, and it continues to be something which should be a source of great shame for the people of Belgium. In fact, there are many European powers that got a lot to answer for during that time. But Belgium's, Be Belgium's charge sheet's probably the longest at this point. Anyway, JJ, it's always good to see you. And uh, thank you very much for coming on this morning. We've got lots of stuff we still want to talk to you about. And we will see you in a couple of weeks' time for the next episode of African Analysis. JJ Cornish. And, I very uh, much look forward to that. Thank you, sir. And the Johannesburg Business School making it all possible this morning. Cliffcentral.com.